turn with me to the book of James. To the book of James. Thank you again, uh, David. And uh, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for uh, prompting us and reminding us of the effects of our risen Savior. So uh, now you can spread out, too. All those kids are gone, taking up all your space. You can spread out in here as well. So turn to James. And we're going we're gonna to study the book of James over the next few weeks. Uh, just before I forget, after the service, I know we, uh, we provided the binders for Deuteronomy. If you want another binder for James... If you're one of those and you want to have a different binder for each, each book we study, they're, they're up here on this front pew after the service as you're leaving. Come on down here and grab a, a, a new binder if, if you would like. They're, they're right up here on the front row. So what I wanted today to do is to give us uh, somewhat an overview, somewhat of an introduction, if you will, to the book of James. Uh, we're, we'll look next week, Lord willing, when we, when we study verse 1 and following Obviously, James is the author, the half-brother of, of Jesus. Uh, he's writing to uh, the dispersed Jewish Christians all over, and, and we'll talk about that. I, I won't get into all that. Um, it is believed that James is, is one of the earliest written books of the New Testament, one of the earliest written books there. Um, I, we, we know from Acts 4 and following that the Jews, uh, the Jewish Christians had already been dispersed, that they had been scattered, and, and that's to whom James writes. But before, I, before we jump in and talk about all this, James can be a very difficult book. James can present us with a, a lot of difficulties, and, 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 and we can come, and before we try to break down these passages and see what God has to teach us about Himself, about ourselves, about, about a life of faith, I want us to get some groundwork laid uh, just some some foundational truths so that we can understand what James is teaching us. So when we come to these passages, we'll rightly, as best as possible, understand what he's teaching. And Because here's what, here's what most people will do with James. They'll come to the book of James, and, and, and all it becomes is do, 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 do. It just becomes a bunch of actions. We can run around, busy in ourselves to do, just do a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm not saying that's not necessarily part of what James is saying, but, but when we, if we do that, we miss the real meaning behind what James is saying, I believe. We just get out of here and, and we feel terrible about our lives because this person's doing all this and I'm only doing this and this person does this. and I only that, That's not what James is saying. I don't think that's a heart of what James is doing. And, and the difficulty... Behind that is this, everybody has works. Everybody has works. You, you being here this morning is a, is a work in that sense, is an act of faith. E- even the world, even the world in their lostness will do works. They'll do good things. I mean, I, and I think that is part of the point that James is making here. Even the antagonist, even James's opponent in, in chapter 2, and we'll look at that today briefly, says he has works. Everybody has works. Everybody is doing things. And the challenge becomes we, in, in, our, in, our, in our saved bodies, and yet we still have the old nature, the challenge is, is we start measuring and comparing the works and we start talking about degrees of faith and, and, well, this person is this and this person is that and this person only does. We, you don't see degrees of faith. You're either a believer or you're not. Some people's faith may be stronger. You see in chapter 12 of Romans that Paul says each has been given a measure of faith. Your measure, your measure of faith may allow you to do this or, or drive you to do this and another person's this. But the challenge is, is if it's only do, 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 th- then judging starts creeping in. Then favoritism starts creeping in. Then we get a loose, with, little loose with our tongue and we start praising God and condemning others. We start becoming arrogant with what God has called us to do. We start blaming God for things. Everything that you see in James is what we start doing. If, if it's only about works. And you miss the foundational truth, the most fundamental aspect of what James is teaching and revealing us here. And and as Daniel mentioned, here's what 
I think James is getting at, and here's where I believe we have to start. Very fundamental question, and you'll see on your notes, there's a lot of questions there to begin with. I, I want you over the coming weeks to ask yourselves, as I ask myself and have been asking myself a lot of questions as I come to James, but the most fundamental question is this. Why do you do, or why do you not do, what it is that you do? Why do you do what you do? Why don't you do what you don't do? I think that's the fundamental question of what James is driving home here. What's the motivation? What are you seeking to get at? What are you seeking to accomplish? Not only through what you do, but through what you don't do. Because believe me, Baptist pastor, I live in that world. I, 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 I didn't necessarily grow up inundated with, with the Baptist theology, but there's a lot of things that we do and don't do that you, I'm looking in. The, I'm still trying to figure out, now where does, it, where does it say that? But to be a good Baptist, boy, you better, you better do this and you better not do that. And I'm thinking, where in the world does it say that? I, I ain't found it yet. And the point is, if we're not careful... Even today, we will become just as the Pharisees. We will become whitewashed tombs. We will look very, very pretty on the outside and inside we're wasting away. Inside, we're as wretched as a lost person. But outwardly, we look pretty. Outwardly, we're doing a lot of things. And I think what James is driving home, and I, and I pray that what we'll see is that the, the question is this, are you doing what you're doing because it produces results? Because it produces the benefits that you want and that are pleasing to you? Or are you doing and am I doing what I'm doing simply because it reflects the character of God regardless of the results? We live in a result-oriented world. We live in a result-oriented Christian culture. And, and, and Karen and I were talking about it last, last night. The, the ladies in Amazing Collection are reading through Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they would have been fired if they lived and if they pastored in today's world. They would have been fired. They've been ran off. No results. Hey, Isaiah, I got a mission for you. Go talk to a people that are deaf and aren't going to listen to you. But go, go have fun. Go do it. Jeremiah. Go, go preach to an obstinate people. Are, are we doing what we're doing because it produces results for us? Or are we doing what we're doing because it reflects the character of God regardless of the results? See, the, the, the thing that James is getting at, I believe, is that we can become deceived into doing what we're doing more for the results that please us rather than the fact that it simply reflects the character of our God. We, we become, we become, we become results-oriented, and, and, and James is dealing with the heart here. James is dealing with character here. Outwardly, we can do everything that looks right, but for the wrong reasons. And that's not honoring to our God. We as a people can become so calculated that it really the life that we live requires little faith. Requires little faith of us. And in the end, who we're really serving, who we're really serving and worshiping is ourselves. Who we're really in for is for ourselves. And I think beyond that, the question that James asks is this. Are you doing what you're doing based on worldly wisdom, based on fleshly wisdom, or is it based upon the Word of God, godly wisdom? Are you doing what you're doing because it makes sense? Or are you doing what you're doing simply because the Word of God tells you to do it regardless of what the world thinks about it? Because Paul made it very clear... The wisdom of this world is folly to God, and the wisdom of God is folly to this world. The natural man will not appraise the things of God. Well, they won't. 
I mean, are we doing what we're doing because it makes sense or because it profits us, because it benefits us materially or in some way? Or, or maybe we're serving a certain people because we know that that people can serve us back. Maybe that's the motivation. We see that in James. We serve people that can return the favor. We serve people that can scratch our back down the road when we need our back scratched. Or are we doing it because God tells us to do it expecting nothing in return? Even if we'll never be repaid. And what James is getting at is, is, is the motivation behind faith and works. You ever been in, that, you ever been in a conversation where, where you're, you and the other person are using the same words, but you mean totally different things? within the words that you're using, like you're speaking the same words, you're both using the same words, but you mean this when you say this, and this person uses the same word and they mean that. I think that's somewhat of what James is getting to with regards to, to the, his opponents and, and, and even the foolishness, that, the folly that can come about within Christian circles. We're using the same words. Matter of fact, we're using the right words, but the wrong meaning, the wrong idea. And, and, and what James is battling is a mentality that says, I'll do it as long as it benefits me. I'll do it as long as there's an ROI, as long as there's a return on the investment. I'll do it so long as I can see this working out. Again, are, are we doing what we're doing because it makes sense? Are we doing it because we can see the fruit? I thought about this question. When's the last time you did something that made absolutely no sense to the world? When's the last time you did something for somebody that nobody else knows about? That you didn't tweet about? Or tell the world on Facebook about? Or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever these things out there I hear about? When's the last time you did something? I don't know. I, I, I was so just in my flesh, so bothered. Um, I don't even know if I won't go there. No, I won't even go there. When, when's the last time you did something for somebody that, that nobody else knows about? When's the last time you did something for somebody that absolutely has zero means of ever repaying you? That's what James is getting at here. And like it or not, the reasons that we do things, they reflect on our character. They reflect on our source of wisdom. They reflect on even our Heavenly Father. Are we seeking results or are we seeking the character of our Father? Are we seeking benefits to us or are we simply seeking to reflect the character of our Father? And I think what James is getting at is this. That true faith in Jesus Christ acts regardless of the results. Regardless of the results. We, we act simply because we're commanded to and because it's a reflection of the character of our God. The joy, the fruit is simply found in being obedient. And, and we'll, we'll get to the, we're going to get here hopefully to, to, the, to the point behind it all and at the heart of it, at the heart of it all is what James is seeking after, is why do you do what you do? Again, he's writing to a group of believers, Jewish believers who are scattered, who are being persecuted, who are poor, who are, been ta who are being taken advantage of. And in their eyes, in their eyes, their faith doesn't seem to be working for them. There's no results. There's no benefits. And what James is saying is that our works, our works as believers are rooted in the character of God. It's sacrificial mercy, not results. And I think that is the core of what James is getting at, is the work of faith is sacrificial mercy. It's not the results. The work of our faith, the proof of our faith, 
the, the, the fruit of our faith is sacrificial mercy on behalf of one another, regardless of what that brings us. It's sacrificial mercy. And, and it's noteworthy here because, interestingly enough, that's not a deed or a result. That's a character trait. Sacrificial mercy is a character trait. It's not a deed. It responds in deeds. It's not an action it's a deep-seated heart issue. It's a character of somebody. And what James is saying is that our character and our faith drive our actions. And here's what James is saying, that God is the one, when done rightly, God is the one that gets all the credit because it's His character in us that is driving the actions. It's not me. It's not my benefits. It's not my results. I'm not doing it to, to fill this church up. I'm not doing it to get you to like me. I'm not doing it so that you'll pay me back. I'm doing it simply because that's the character of God living in me that is producing it. And every single believer, every single believer has received sacrificial mercy from God. And that same character trait ought to be what pervades our life. Sacrificial mercy. God gives to the believer through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has sacrificially, mercifully put His Son on a cross to die that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know what He says to believers? You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. You receive sacrificial mercy, now go give it. That's, that's the action. That's the faith. It's all tied up in sacrificial mercy. And therefore, God is a God whose character produces works in that He gives mercy to those who need it, regardless of who they are or what they can return. There are actions. Don't, don't hear me say, and that's what James, they're arguing the same point, but using different words. Indeed, there are actions, but the actions are driven by character. They're driven by mercy, not by results. Not by what you can get out of it. I mean, mercy, by its very definition, mercy is an action. It is an action. It's sacrificing for the needy. It's looking after one another. I mean, there are, there are things about God's character from the Old Testament that we all know. He's omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's, he's everywhere present. He's immutable. He's unchanging. The number one way that God is described in the Old Testament, merciful. Loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. Covenantal loyalty. Loving kindness. Mercy. It's really a word that, that uh, scholars have a hard time defining because it, it contains... You're, you're talking about the character of God here. It's hard to narrow it down, but what he's saying at the bottom, at the bottom of that well, when you drill that all the way down, it's this. It's mercy. Undeserved mercy. Number one way, number one way that God is described in the Old Testament, loving kindness. You see it in Lamentations 3, 23. For indeed, His loving kindnesses never cease. Never cease. It never ceases being merciful. And, and you see that out throughout the Bible. You see it especially in the Gospel, that God is giving to the totally undeserving at great cost to himself. There was a cost. The, the benefit was no, there's no benefit. The benefit is a cost. It costs you. And, and that's what James, you've got to keep that in your mind. What James is refer, referencing as works is the sacrificial deeds of mercy. It's not the benefits. It's the act of being sacrificially mercy, merciful. He's not, teach, he's not talking about man's characteristics. He's not talking about things that are driven by man. He's talking about the characteristics of God here showing themselves through believers. And sacrificial mercy is one of God's greatest, foremost attributes. And here's how this plays out. God is not just rich, but He gives to the undeserving and the needy out of His riches. Does He not? Every single one of us here are recipients of that. Not only is God rich, but He gives out of the undeserving 
of his riches and of, and so that they will satisfy their needs. That is, listen, God works merciful deeds, but what drove the deeds? His character. Not the results. His character drove the deeds. His character produced the deeds. Sacrificial, flow, sacrificial mercy flows out of God because that's who he is. He's sacrificially merciful. That's his character trait. And the works are, were a production of his character. Not a results-oriented thing. Not any, it, was a, it was a character-driven thing. And, and what James, is, what James is, is getting at here is that faith that does not contain sacrificial, merciful actions as a part of God's character is not helpful and is not an accurate picture of faith. That's what James is saying. You were saved to represent your heavenly Father and His character. God gave you mercy that you would pass it on to another person to be merciful, that they would pass it on. And that's where James is saying, a faith that is not sacrificially merciful is dead. It's not serving its purposes. He says it's useless. God showed us sacrificial, sacrificial mercy and then wants us to go, to, and He's saying, you're, you're missing the point here. Instead, we, take, we tend to take God's sacrificial mercy, mercy and go off and do our own thing that benefits, uh, benefits us. And we use His mercy to benefit us. And what God is saying is, no, you take that mercy and you use it to serve me. And it's my very nature and character in you that is producing it. We just saw this in, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 19. Let me, let me read it for you says, for the Lord your God, listen to this, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Listen to this. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Do you see what he's saying? The very characteristic of God that you received Give to others. The very characteristic that you received, show to others. And what was that? It was sacrificial mercy. Look at, look at Micah 6.8. Look at Micah 6.8. It says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you see what he requires of you? Those are the works. Those are character-driven works. Why? Because they reflect our Father. Justice, loving kindness, humble. Look, look with me at Matthew 23, 23, what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Very, very interesting comment here. Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Look, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, listen, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. What are those? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. What does God require of us? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. What have we received from God? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Sacrificial mercy. The very thing that God commands of His people because it reflects His character were the very things that the Pharisees were, were neglecting. Did they have outward works? They had tons of outward works. Yet it was not driven by justice and faith and mercy. You know what it was driven by? It was driven by their character because they loved themselves more than they loved God. They loved the results more than they loved the faithfulness. They had works. They just didn't have the right works. Their works were dead. They were useless. It was all about themselves. And the thing that we have to learn about this character of God is what it is in that character that makes Him act as He does. In other words, we can see His creative deeds. We can see His miraculous power. We can see even the great gifts of, of sacrificing His Son on a cross that, that David and Kelly just sang from. And not only sacrificing, but the power of raising Him from the dead. Romans 1.4 says that He declared Jesus Christ to be His Son through the power of the resurrection. That was proof that that was His Son. But what trait is it, what trait is it in the character of God that makes Him do such things? And it is sacrificial mercy. 
It's kessed. It's loving kindness. And in, in our world, as, as I thought about that and, and read about that, and, and a buddy of mine is currently a professor at, at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he and I have been meeting and trading notes and, and talking about that word mercy. When we talk about mercy, our world, just like many other words, has so distorted that word. We, we put a lot of things under the, under the label of mercy that biblically don't measure up to mercy. They don't measure up to God's sacrificial mercy. They don't measure up to what, we, what God has called us to do. And so I want to, four characteristics, you see it there in your notes, four characteristics real quickly of biblical, God-centered, God-representing mercy. Here it is. Mercy is giving someone what they need when you have it to give. Mercy is giving somebody what they need when you have it to give. And, and listen to me, I, we'll get here, but in James 2, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? You have the means to do it. Hey, I know you're starving, I know you're hungry, go warm and be filled, that's my problem. I can't be warm and filled without food and clothing. And he's saying, what use is that? Same word, it's useless. Without sacrificial mercy, it's useless. Someone, someone who is hopeless in need of the necessities of life, God has given them to us to share with others when they have a need. The, the thing to notice about mercy is that mercy... The, the giver has given out of his own resources. It's not, hey, go over here and see David. Let's give out of David's resources. Let, let's go over here and, and, and give, out of, give, give out of Chris Adams' resources. No, no, sacrificial mercy is I'm going to give out of my resources. And, and here's the thing, mercy costs the provider. Mercy always costs the provider. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David says, I will not sacrifice anything to the Lord that what? Did not cost me. Because he knew that the Lord had given at great cost to himself. He said, I'm not sacrificing anything. I'm not worshiping with anything that did not cost me. Why? It was a reflection of the character of his God. Sacrificial mercy. Not only that, mercy, secondly, mercy is done at your cost since the other person cannot obtain it himself or herself. That, that goes in line with the first one. It's done at your cost. Look, look, look with me at Luke 10. We see, a, we see a perfect illustration of this in Luke 10. The Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by the chance, listen to, who stopped, listen to this, and by the chance, by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a, Samar a priest and a Levite ignored him. Guess who served him? But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion, mercy, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Listen to this. This is where it gets really, really good. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Denarii was equivalent to, uh, to, two days wa to a day's wages there. He says, hey, do whatever it takes to take care of him, put it on my account. Which of these, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Mercy. Mercy. Thirdly, mercy is not simply letting something go. Mercy is not just brushing over it like it didn't happen. 
you know, releasing a guilty prisoner to the public, that's not mercy, that's foolish. We, we would say, well, we're going to have mercy on him. No, that's foolish, that's not mercy. When, when a student requests a grade better than what they deserved, that's not mercy, that's called lowering the bar. That's called letting someone slide. Now, I probably was a recipient of that growing up, so I was grateful for it, but it wasn't mercy. You know, these kids in here are thinking, shh, don't. it's not mercy. You don't go home and say, oh, my teacher's so merciful, she gave me a C when I deserved a D. No, she's a bad teacher. Forgive me if you're teachers and you've done that. That's, that's not good. You know, letting my son or daughter get away with stuff. Oh, my dad is so merciful. No, I'm being a bad parent. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those whom he loves. It's lowering the bar. Lowering the bar is not mercy. Christ didn't, God didn't say, well, let's lower the bar so that everybody can get into heaven. No, no, he kept the bar at perfection and says, you know what I'll do? At great cost to myself, I'll sacrifice my son and I'll make them meet the requirements through faith in my son to be able to get into heaven and to be perfect. He didn't lower the bar. I mean, not only is it, not only is it to, to, to give somebody a grade they don't deserve, that's in a sense lying, not mercy. You're attesting to that person to that, this person got this, but they didn't. They got this. And our world would say that's merciful. That's not biblical mercy. Fourthly, mercy expects nothing in return. And we saw that in Luke 10 as well with the Good Samaritan. He said, hey, whatever it costs, put it on my tab. He, he got nothing in return. Nothing. But you know what his faith, the work was sacrificial mercy that he knew he had received from the Father and he displayed it. Again, mercy is giving someone in need what they need at your cost without the possibility of benefit. No, no, no return favors. You get nothing back. It is totally sacrificial. And, and that's the way it is with us and God. We can't pay God back. We simply respond to the character that was given to us. And, and sometimes people talk about of God giving people things because they gave to the church. Look, if what you get is because you gave, that no longer is mercy. That's called a wage. I work every two weeks, and Idlewild puts a check in my bank account. I don't go up to Ken Smith, my, uh, my overseer, and say, you are so merciful for doing that. No, I worked for it. I earned it. I deserve it. Arguably. But that's not mercy. If you're guaranteed of getting something back for what you do, then it's not mercy. And that, friends, that is what James is getting at. There was a culture of people that were doing things, expecting things in return. They were doing things only when they knew that they would get something in return. And James is saying that faith is not faith. That is not the faith that God has called us to. That is not representing our Heavenly Father. And listen, in, in the grand biblical story, man became God's enemy when he rejected God and went his own way. And the result of that was eternal death. And, and it goes without saying, it's a whole different sermon, that even death was God's gift. To not live in these fleshly, mortal bodies forever. That was a gift. Yet God gave mercy by giving his son to die. Man is a recipient of that mercy when by faith he realizes he is a sinner, he realizes that that sin has alienated him from God, and he realizes the only way to God is through the death of his son. Death, Christ dying um, on behalf of all of us. We identify through his death, we acknowledge by faith, that death was my death. My sin deserved for me to die. And yet Christ died for me. That's mercy. That's mercy. So, so what we're asking for in salvation is we're asking for not only for grace, but we're asking for mercy. For God to be merciful. Why? Because that's His character. And then He says, just like we saw in Luke 10, go and do likewise. You have received mercy. Go show mercy. Mercy. He didn't say, hey, God has held you to this. You, no, no, mercy. 
you've been forgiven. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. The guy, the guy's been forgiven a, a debt that he can never repay, and then he goes and holds his brother and throws him in jail for a really small debt. And God is saying, you foolish slave. I forgave you all of this, and you won't forgive that? That's mercy. Your, your, your faith is not, it's a wrong, something's wrong with your faith. And the believer, again, having been forgiven of his old dead character, we now receive a new character implanted from God. That is Jeremiah 31, 31. That is Ezekiel 38. I will put my spirit in them and I will write my words on their heart. That's what we see today. God's character is literally acting out of me. Look, look with me in James at 2.13. I hope, this is, I hope this is making sense. I think it'll make even more sense when we start studying it. You'll see how all the pieces fit together. But James 2.13, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And, and that is what James is saying. And I believe that, that mercy, that that is the work that James is getting to that motivates everything else. It's mercy. It's sacrificial mercy. It's simply reflecting the character of our Father. And instead, they were judging one another. They were, they were presuming upon God. They were saying, well, I'm going through this temptation and God is sovereign, so God must have made... No, no, that's not right. Sacrificial mercy. Yet the believer does not have any mercy of his own. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, or 2 Corinthians 1, 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. We have no mercy to give on our own. God puts it in us and then we give it as a believer. The only, only God has the mercy of God that causes us to sacrificially give on behalf of one another the way he's called. You and I literally as believers are stewards of mercy. We're stewards of mercy. That's the Christian life. Go and do likewise. We've been given mercy. Now go give mercy. And that is what James is pointing to here in this book. That is the faith in action. It's sacrificial mercy. Again, we said it earlier, mercy by its very definition is active. It's active. There are actions. But for the believer, it's not literally us who's acting, it's God acting through us. It's not based upon results, but it's based on the character of God that we have received and be, been filled with through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is literally doing it through us. Therefore, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. And the result is faithfulness. The result is walking humbly with our Lord. That is the reward of works. We're not looking for anything back. And, and what James is teaching us is that sacrificial mercy is the work of faith from which everything else flows, just like it does from the character of God. Why do you do what you do? Because it's, I'm, I'm to be sacrificially mercy, because my Father is sacrificially merciful. Not because I get it back, not because it makes sense. No, sacrificial mercy. And I think that's part of the issue, and we'll get to it in, in 2.18. Look, look at 2.18. But somewhat, James has already said that faith without works in 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So James says, faith without works is dead. But the antagonist, his opponent, in verse 18, but someone may well say, so his opponent says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here's the problem. The antagonist, the opponent, agrees with James. The opponent there in 2.18 said the exact same things as James. James says in 2.17, faith without works is dead. Guess what the antagonist in 18 says? Faith without works is dead. Show me your faith by, without works, and I'll show you by my faith by my works. Look what James says in verse 20. But you, so if they're on the same page, why does he say this in verse 20? But you are willing to recognize, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? See, they're arguing using the same words, but they're using different definitions of the words. They mean different things by the words. And, and that's what James is getting at. That, that's what he's drilling down to here. And, and what he's, the whole book 
is dependent really in, in many regards of what we see right there. And there's hu- there is disagreement over what we see right there. And, and the antagonist is arguing for results over simply a display of the character of God. You know what the, the antagonist is saying? Hey, I'll show you my faith because look at all the results. Look at all the ways I've been blessed and benefited. You know what James is saying? I'll show you my faith by simply mercy, sacrificial mercy. Really, I got nothing to show for it except sacrificial mercy. I've done it completely at the cost of myself. I've done it completely at the benefit of others, expecting nothing in return. And over here, his antagonist is saying, well, obviously I have faith because, you know, and, and listen to me, is that theology not apparent today? Do we not look at the rich and the, and the, the people that are, that are great health and great families and all that stuff, and we say, God must clearly bless them. I, I told Karen, even, even last night, my mind has been on this, str- trying to communicate this clearly, and I hope I have. Last night, I, I, I went to, to visit. Somebody called me and needed me to come by and chat with him, and so I did. And on the way home, uh, um, I, I, I saw, um, I don't want to give too much information here, but I saw a car, and, and I, it was owned by a Christian. I know the person is a Christian. It's a very, very nice car. And on the front of it, it had a sticker called, and it said, Blessed. And hear my heart here. It's not, this is not directed at them at all. But my question in my heart was, as a believer, are they not blessed even if they, even if they rode the bus? Are they not blessed? Let's suppose they had to ride a bike over this person's house. Are they not blessed? They are only blessed if they had the results. They are only blessed if they have a nice car and dot, dot, dot. Or as Christians, we're blessed regardless. No matter what happens to us. That's why Job was saying, Job, what is it, 13, 15, I think, though he may slay me, what? I will worship you. Why? Because I'm blessed. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ephesians 5, 20, give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks for everything. Why? Because we're blessed. Because God has shown us sacrificial mercy, and regardless of the results, regardless of what this world, what following Christ costs us, we are blessed. Why? Because we have God. We're blessed. Because God's sacrificial mercy has been poured out on His Son that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It's not a results-oriented thing. I mean, regardless of what happens here at Odessa, the work was simply by faith coming, leaving everything that we knew and were comfortable with and coming here to something I had no clue and still don't. What are we doing? I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just I'm learning before you. The, 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 it's sacrificial mercy. It's not the results. James is saying that the, 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 the work is reflecting the character of the Father regardless of what happens. And the antagonist is saying, no, no, look at all these results. There, there are people in this world right now in America that have the largest churches in America and deny the gospel. They have the works. The works, the evidence, the apparent worldly evidence is there, but they have no faith. That's not what God is judging on. It's sacrificial mercy. It's truthfulness. And and James is saying faith showing itself in sacrificial mercy is the work. It's not the results. The work is sacrificial mercy. And you leave up to God what He chooses to do with that. And, And this is where the battle is waged. Because in this world we live in, we tend to do things that we, own, that we see a return in. That's what we tend to. And, and this is where the battle is raged. Will we trust God's wisdom and His Word? Or will we trust man's wisdom? That's where the battle is waged. And, and you look at two one, James 2.1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. They have added to, the, they have added to their faith human wisdom. They've taken the gospel and they've said, well, clearly, clearly God wants me to serve that person because they're rich. And clearly God wants me to love that person because they can help me in return. That's what you see in chapter 2. They were blessing the rich, persecuting the poor. Why? Because the rich could do something for them. Personal favoritism. 
And, and to the world, listen to me, to worldly wisdom, that makes all the sense in the world. To God's wisdom and to God's word, that's garbage. That's garbage. And, and we certainly think God has blessed the rich, and we certainly think that God approves of them. And we serve them, and we, we give them high, lofty positions, and we, we bow down to them. Why? Because we have added to the, our faith a, person, a, a spirit, an attitude of personal favoritism. And what happens as believers, and what James is getting at is, our old nature begins to rule our new nature. The things of this world begin to dictate the things of faith. And we begin to be ruled by the wisdom of this world rather than the wisdom of God's Word. We begin to, our lives begin to rule on what's works versus what's of faith. Romans 14, 23, Whatever is not done of faith is sin. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 that we need a renewed mind. Because my old mind wants to go back to, that don't look like it's going to end well, so I'm not going to do it. That, that looks like it ends well, and it will result in great praise for me, so I'll do it. That old nature starts kicking in. Why? We, because here's the thing. We naturally act on what we believe. We naturally act on what we believe. And in our sinful state, we want to determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And, and you listen, you can trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, if, if, if up to that point, God had everything He had created was good. He created this and said it's good. He created this and the Word, the word of God says He saw that it was good. That word saw means determined. God said it's good because I said it was good. And then, no, no, there was no, no judgment needed, nothing to be determined on our part. God said it was good because it was good. And it was good because it revealed His character, reflected His character. And think about it for a second. If there was a tree in the middle of this room that was labeled the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what would you expect to gain from it if you ate of it? Knowledge of good and evil. Here's the challenge. Didn't Adam and Eve already know what was good and evil? The answer is yes, they did. God had told them what was good and evil. And here's the challenge. The reason God said don't eat of that tree, but here's what he's getting at. I believe wholeheartedly what he's saying is the moment you eat from that tree you're going to want to determine for yourself what's good and evil. You're no longer going to trust me in what I say is good and evil. You're going to want to determine for yourself. And is that not what you see in history? Just a few books later, everyone, er, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what? What was right in whose eyes? Determine for themselves what's good and evil. Look at the world we live in today. It's no longer what God says about marriage. It's whatever we feel about marriage. It's no longer what God says about this. It's whatever we feel about this. It's no longer what God says about this. Things that we have held on to for centuries and centuries. Guess what? We all become, we're so smart now. We'll determine for ourselves what's good and evil. And, and that's what James is getting at here. You're, you're trying to determine for yourself what's good and evil in simply, instead of simply seeing things through God's eyes. Don't look through your own eyes. Look through God's eyes. And at the end of the day, here's where the battle is drawn, and I believe this is what James is saying, and I want you to keep this in mind as we study the book. What James references in 2.1, even in chapter 3, he compares worldly wisdom with godly wisdom. And the question he asks us is this, and the question I leave us here with this is, which wisdom are you going to build your life around? You going to build your life around worldly wisdom that says do what benefits you, that says do what's wise, that's do, to do what gives you the biggest return on investment, or are you going to do what's wise in God's eyes? That's the question. You're going to live your life based on results, or are you going to live your life based on sacrificial mercy and the character of God? That's the question before us, and I believe that's the question of James. You're going to live your life that says, you know what, by God's grace, because He's been sacrificially merciful to me, I'm going to be sacrificially merciful to everybody else by faith, regardless of the results, or am I only going to do what makes sense? That's the question. Will we seek the physical over the spiritual? Will we seek results over simple faithfulness? That's the question. And I, I, that's why in, in James 2, he says in verse, I mean, 127, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one's unself unstained by the world. 
here's the point. Widows and orphans in that day had nothing to offer the person that served them. There are families in here today that have taken in foster children and, and, and widows in that. They did it to show sacrificial mercy of God. They didn't do it because they're getting. They didn't do it for the benefit. They did it because sacrificial mercy is reigning in their hearts. And I'm reminded of Habakkuk as we close. We're closing on this. I, I pray that we would be a Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 people. That, that we would believe and trust what Habakkuk... I, I don't know if I get Can y'all put that up there for them to see? I know pretty much what it says. It's hanging in our kitchen, but I don't want to paraphrase it. I'll do it. But though the fig tree does not blossom, and though there be no fruit on the vine, what's Habakkuk say? I'll trust you, Lord. You know what Habakkuk is saying? I don't serve you for results, Lord. The fruit of my faith, sacrificial mercy. The fruit of the faith, is obedience. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and though there be no fruit on the vine, the grapes wither, the flowers fade, guess what? I'll trust you, Lord. And I pray with all my heart that we would be that, we would be that kind of people that says, you know what, Lord? We're not in it for the results. We'll worship you whether the, whether the fig tree blossoms or not. I'll worship you whether there's a return on the investment or not. Because that's what I've received from you. And listen, if you're here today, and I, I hope the gospel has been clear throughout this, but if you're here today and you're not believing in Jesus Christ, please come talk to me. Maybe there's people even here today that, that, their, that their act of faith you know, that, that really doesn't have a result would be believer's baptism, as Miss Lori did today. Maybe you want to join a church. I don't know what that is, but I'll be down front. I'll be glad to talk to you about any of those. But let's be a people who worship our great Lord regardless of the results. That the, that the, work, that the work is sacrificial mercy. And it starts toward one another in here. Forgiving, being long-suffering, patient, kind. That's where it starts. And then it goes out into the world.